Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Just the Good Stuff, the second to last episode of 2022. I am sitting here nearly 34 weeks pregnant, recording this intro, hoping that I don't get winded because we just recorded a podcast episode for my seven-year fired anniversary, and it is really hard for me to talk without sounding like I'm walking up 100 flights of steps. But today's episode, I am super excited about. I was starstruck talking to her and interviewing her for the podcast. We are chatting with Dana Schultz. Dana is the co-founder and creative director of Minimalist Baker and the author of Minimalist Baker's Everyday Cooking. She's a certified holistic nutritionist and 200-hour certified yoga teacher. She currently lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and co-founder, John, and their two puppies. Dana also just launched the most delicious baking mixes that you can find on their website, all gluten-free mixes. They have pancakes, there's cakes. My kids love them. We love them. Highly recommend checking them out. And in this episode, Dana fills us in on the creation of Minimalist Baker. She was one of the first food blogs I ever read, ever started following. Her content is gorgeous. Her recipes are amazing. She started off with all vegan recipes for the first, I would say like chunk of years. And then recently um, shared that she started incorporating more animal products into her daily diet and started making recipes that reflect that. So she shares a ton about that in this episode and also just how she started her business, how all the intricacies of how it's run. And it was really, really an amazing conversation. Dana is such a sweet and kind soul. I loved getting to chat with her more and getting to hear more about her business if you don't already follow her, definitely head on over to at Minimalist Baker and go to her website and you can find all of the goodness that we talk about in today's episode. And while you're listening, if you want to rate and review the podcast, that is always oh so appreciated. And tag us if you are listening to it, listening to the episode, let us know what you think. And I will be back in two weeks for our final episode of 2022, everyone. I'd love to kick off and have you introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are. Sure. Okay. So my name's Dana and I live in Austin, Texas with my husband, John, and our two puppies. And um, 10 years ago, we founded Minimal Speaker together, which was born out of essentially my lazy cooking tendencies. I don't like to get out a lot of dishes or buy obscure ingredients or, you know, labor in the kitchen for hours. And so we just had this idea to merge our current interests at the time of minimalism and kind of getting our life down to the essentials with my love for food. And that's kind of where the business idea came from. And John is, has a background as a programmer and I am a self-taught cook who has some food sensitivities. So it kind of just went from there. And now we have a small team, but I'm um, still very much involved in the business and it's been really fun to see it grow. Wait, I thought you lived in Portland. We did live in Portland for about five or six years. And then two, or actually, no, it's been four years ago, we moved to Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. How do you cool. guys like it? We like it. It's, uh, you know, it has a lot of similarities to Portland. They're both into craft beer, craft food, um, a lot of biking culture. It's also a very outdoorsy city. Like both cities, people love to be outdoors. And mostly I'm just a sun person. I'm I'm a summer baby. So to be in a place where there's cloud cover eight, eight or nine months of the year, just I just had it up to here. And so yeah. we ended up moving here and it's been really great. That's awesome. I did, I feel like everyone we know that's moved to Austin 
is so like happy and like light there. They just like feel better. And we're like in the trenches of New Jersey. <laughs> we're yeah. basically the the opposite of that. But George never you never been. You gotta go. No, I I it was on our list to go right before COVID. And then we just never made it there. And now we're almost three babies in. So I, we'll I don't it. know. I don't know when we're gonna make it, but we'll, we'll be there one day. Not anytime soon. So you were to me, you were, and to many, um, cause when I had spoken that on Instagram, you were coming on the podcast, like you are an original food blog content creator. Like one of the first blogs I ever read, mm-hmm. I feel like when you think of, you know, the people who really created this space and like show that it was possible to like run your food blog and brand full time, like you are one of those people, which is you are incredibly, incredibly impressive to so many. And I'd love to hear more and dive into the backstory of like why you started Minimalist Baker. And like, obviously you didn't know this was going to be like so relevant in years to come, but what made you start your blog in the first place? Uh, Well, thanks for saying that. I always feel like, no, there were so many people before me that I was just like trying to emulate which I'm sure everyone feels that way. But essentially, I have always been just a huge foodie, like the person at our dinner table that was just eating, like going back for seconds and thirds. And just, I really love food so much. And I have a degree in journalism. So the school that I went to, the college that I went to didn't offer any nutrition programs. That's probably the route I would have taken. So out of college, I went into journalism and then marketing. And then eventually my husband and I got to a place where I was having a hard time finding a job that I was excited to actually show up to for the pay. And um, because journalists don't get paid very much, I'm not sure if yeah. <laughs> right now, but it's, it's not exactly a, a sexy career. So anyways, my, my husband and I were kind of in this place where he was in law school and hating it. And I was having a hard time finding fulfilling work. And so I had known a friend who started a lifestyle blog, like a long time ago and just watching her do it. And she even said one time, like, Oh yeah, you should start a blog. And I did start a blog before minimalist baker. That was like my training wheels and it was called my little celebration. It's not on the internet. So people (laughs) can't find it. We made sure to bury it like 16 feet deep because it's pretty terrible. But um, anyways, I fell in love with the process of content creation. When I had that site, I was taking pictures, you know, sharing a bit about my life and sharing recipes. And the recipes were always the thing that people resonated with. So I kind of took note of that. I ended up getting another job in content creation at like a, a website and then eventually got the idea for Minimal Speaker again, kind of studying what people were into on my first site and noticing where my natural interests were lying. And that's kind of where the concept for Minimal Baker came. Um, John and I were at Chipotle and I was like, I have this idea for a site called Minimal Baker and it would be, you know, 10 ingredients or 30 minutes or one bowl. Like, so people would know how it's simple because in journalism, you know, you're always trained, like people's attention span is so short and they don't care what you have to say. And so be concise. And so my thought was, I'm going to just tell people exactly what to expect when they come. And I'm going to deliver on that just again and again. And so that's kind of how it began in our little apartment. We were living in Kansas at the time where we're both from. And um, over the years, we've grown and evolved. And you know, now, we, like I mentioned, we have people working for us, which has been so rewarding and fun. Like I'm, I don't know if you feel this way, Rachel, but sometimes 
when you're working alone, it can feel like a bit of an echo chamber and like, is this even a good idea? Does this even taste good? And so when other people are around and you're like bouncing ideas and collaborating, it's, it turns it into a more enjoyable experience. It can be really isolating. Like when I, I ran my business by myself for six years and I would work, I even worked from home before this. So I was always like used to being solo. And then Jordan would come home from work and I would be like a bat out of hell trying to like make conversation and hear about his day and whatever else. But it can be super isolating. I haven't been able to branch out yet and grow, grow a team, which I think down the road, I definitely should. So I'm curious, curious Mm -hmm. your thoughts on that. But when you first started your blog, did you start social media at the same time? Or did you have like your blog and then you branched out or like, what was your like chain of events for that? Well, we had the blog. And then from basically our first post, we had an email list set up. John was like very aware of what other people had done in not necessarily the food space, but you know, he, he followed a lot of writers and minimalists at the time and everyone harped on how important it was to have an email list. And so we had that day one and Facebook. And then of course, Instagram didn't come until later. Cause this was 2010. I don't even know when Instagram came to be. Um, 2011, 2012, like, yeah, yeah. 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 So we were established and then Instagram came. And so, oh, and Pinterest was huge at the time. I remember one of my first, well, our first post was some pancakes and we went on like some random trip one weekend and came back and it had a thousand pins. And I was just like, convinced that my life was gonna, I was basically going to have a Hollywood star. I'm like, I'm it. And John was just super supportive of me. And I, th- I think that like we both realized like he didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't want to like be putzing around at weird odds and end jobs. And so we really wanted it to work. And I think that that's like the enthusiasm and passion for it is like 50% of what made it work. When did you know that you could quit your job and like you both could do this together? Like what gave you guys that sense of security or, or confidence to kind of take take the leap? About six months into starting Minimalist Baker, I was working full-time at a website job where I was doing um, content creation, essentially. And I asked my boss if I could go part-time because I had this new thing I was nurturing. And so I did that for six months. And then that allowed us time to... We were really scrappy, like working nights and weekends. And I would get up early before work and photograph food before I had to be to work. And that hustle... I don't like the word hustle anymore because it's absolutely fatiguing to me, but like, (laughs) that's just what it was. I mean, we were both, he was in law school, I was working. And, um, once he, he graduated from law school and I had been doing this for, you know, a certain amount of time, we had created an ebook and we'd also created a photography school, like a course online. And with those things combined, we were able to like just cover our rent <laughs> and we were like, we, it was like a very modest income. You know, we, it, I, I was convinced that we were just going to eat rice and beans for the rest of our life and, you know, just kind of scrape by. Um, but then I ended up through a connection meeting this woman locally and I started getting gigs, not for minimalist baker, but it was doing, um, professional food styling and photography for a corporation and they had a big budget. So I was getting paid pretty well. And that basically supplemented our income until we met enough other food bloggers who taught us 
basically how to do it. One of actually two people in Kansas city that we met. So cookie and Kate, Catherine, and, um, give me some oven alley from give me some oven. Kind of, we formed this little, you know, cocoon of food bloggers and they were like, Oh no, like you definitely need to get sidebar ads and here's how you should, you know, do these things. And so I think like establishing some in-person real community in the food blogging space was really beneficial for us. And that's when it went from like, we're barely making it. I think we can both work on this too. Like we're doing, we're making a business and we're saving money and it's going well. So. And how has that changed in the last, I guess, wow, almost like 10 years now? Cause I feel like ad revenue is like where it once was in terms of like profitability for food bloggers. So like, have you noticed that you've had to like make changes within your business, like as the years have gone by, or you've been able to like monetize in the same way? Well, every food blogger has takes their own unique path to making their business sustainable. And we were resistant to sidebar ads in the beginning because with the concept of minimalism, it's like kind of cluttering on the site and we just like, I don't know. Um, but then we realized, Hey, like it's expensive to, to pay for a server. To, like you're paying for this website to exist and people are coming for free. And so we felt like, Hey, this is your way of paying less like a one penny rent every week. Right. And this makes it work for us. And so I think once I got over that, we we worked, we started working with Ad Thrive, which was was and is a great company that we still work with. And over time, as we optimized our site and just continued to stay consistent and grow our audience, sure, like ads have changed over the years, but I think because we've been maybe established on the internet for a while, our SEO rankings are still pretty strong. And so you know, posts that I that I made seven, eight years ago still are our top earners today. So even though we push out plenty of new content, it's been really cool to see like, oh, like those things are still anchoring our business and ad revenue is, is still our, by, by large, are still um, our top revenue earner. Um, and we chose to do some sponsored work in 2016. And I just personally didn't like the feeling of our audience knowing that I was being paid, even if I liked something, I don't know, something about it didn't resonate at the time. And so we decided to not do that anymore. And that was also around the time that we made a cookbook. And so we got a decent, you know, deal for that. And that felt really exciting. And then since then, we've just been doubling down on traffic and ad revenue. And then until recently, we launched our physical products. So that's like a whole other, (laughs) it's basically a separate business because it's like, it it's correlated, but it's also this entirely new adventure that we're just learning so much about. So you are one of the only food blogs I know that don't do brand partnerships, which I find to be like fascinating and very, I mean, it's a great point of differentiation for you, but I always wondered like why, but to hear when you had just phrased it like that, like you, so like, is that your ultimate reason as to why like you felt weird having people know that you were paid to talk about products. Did you still feel that way? Um, you know, I think that as I've watched other bloggers pursue sponsored, uh, work to me, it's, I'm, I'm sure other people notice too. Sometimes it feels so organic and it feels like spot on. And other times it's like, Ooh, this feels like hundred percent an advertisement. Like, I don't think you knew this company before you talked to this, you know, got this product. And I personally, just as a consumer, as I was like taking in this new landscape of people doing sponsored work, I just became weary of like, I don't know what they like anymore because 
I feel like they're being paid to say things. And so pers- I just personally felt like, listen, like I just want our audience to have like zero screen. Like they know it's just us. Like we're just excited about this thing. Like you can go and buy whatever brand you want to buy. And that's how we navigated it. But I would say like, there's so many people now when I look at their sponsored content, I'm like, well done. Like that looks like a, re- a very sincere and honest review of this product. And they've worked really hard to make it you know, organic and engaging. And so I, it's really nothing like I don't judge other people for doing it. It's just not a path that we decided to take. I think it's like a really hard part of like, especially like my business, like try and juggle because the brands that I work with are ones like we use and consume, like either mostly before we start working with them. Sometimes I don't hear about a brand until they reach out, but then we try it, make sure we like it, et cetera. Yeah. Where it gets so hard and like wishy-washy is that these brands get so particular about like the way the messaging is crafted, like the type of content you post that it could get lost in translation, like the authenticity a lot of the time and like excite, like genuine excitement that comes with like working with some of these brands this is like my biggest complaint when I have like an idea of how you want to talk about a product or like, no, we want you to talk about it this way. Totally. It's it challenging. And if you think about it, like one of the reasons I think a lot of people become entrepreneurs is because they don't want to work for someone else. And when you work with brands, you in essence are working for someone else and they are your mini boss, even if it's only for one month. And I think John and I, like there was this a long time ago, there was this random opportunity for me to go on some sponsored trip with a company. And I got really excited about it. And we we were talking about it and it got down to like the nitty gritty details. And they had, just like you're saying, Rachel, like so many weird things they wanted me to do and not do and say and not say. And they were completely squeezing all the fun out of it. And that just that exchange had taken up like hours of my time and I wasn't making content. I wasn't doing the thing that actually contributed to our business's success. And I think like we had that little aha moment of like, like, what are we doing here? Like we could work for someone else or we could just keep doing what we're doing and keep forging ahead. And that just felt like the more exciting path to us. But that being said, it's really tricky now that the market is so saturated to like establish yourself as a you know, content creator and not do sponsorships because, um, ad revenue can be so fickle and hard to come by, especially if you're like a newbie and there's not, I feel like in many ways, it's like, there's not a lot of search terms left out there for people to really, you know, sink their teeth into and just become a new, you know, superstar on. Yeah. It's definitely difficult. I mean, part of the thing that I did when joining Rachel's business was take a look at like her website and like, try to learn the whole like SEO landscape mm-hmm. and like looking at the keyword, like searches, it's like so difficult. And like, you try to post something that you're like, Oh, this recipe is new or interesting or creative. And it's like, Oh my God, there's a hundred other ones just like it out there that on Google somehow come up. So yeah, I mean, being, being a first mover in the space, I'm sure has been super helpful. Like you said, like we just made a recipe of Rachel's from 2016 Rachel's like, I cannot believe this thing has been around for six years. It's just Isn't that weird. It's cool to see like something like that and it's still be relevant. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that's one of the reasons why in more recent years, personality has really become a differentiator because look, everyone said everything there can be said about overnight oats. Like we know it, we know it, we know it. <laughs> but if like Susanna has like 
a new perspective and she has like a bubbly personality and she's talking about it on her social channels, that's a new way to engage with people with something that they already know. Maybe she's sharing something a little bit new. Um, and so that just like, wasn't the case when I started, it was like, just kind of, I could live my life behind the lens. And I think that more recently, there's been a, a, at least a trend that I've noticed of people really having to get up and show their faces and be the person like championing their content. And that's a, that's like a two-part job. That's a, I made this idea and I'm like the entertainer as well, which is like a whole other, you know, thing. So how do you feel about that? Cause like, I, you definitely like in your content, you don't see a lot of you within like reels or content in general. I'm like I'm not in a lot of my content either on stories. I am, but not on my feed as much, but there's a lot of content creators that are making recipes and they're like talking to their cameras or doing it. And like, I'm usually not wearing a bra. I'm in sweatpants. I'm like in my slippers. My hair looks disgusting. Like, yeah. And like, there's like food in my fingernails. Like I, I'm, I, I give people so much credit when they're like standing in front of the camera and like me, like in their jeans and cute clothes. And I'm just looking like I walked off out of a sewer system. <laughs> like, like, well, how do you feel about having to like put more like life and personality behind content? Like, do you think that it is important to like transition into doing that? Or do you think it's like you have your way of how you want to share your content and like you try and keep it consistent? I think it's, it's going to be different for everyone. I mean, I've, I've done these, like asked this question over and over again in my head, because I'm like a highly sensitive person. And just like you on any given day, I'm like today, I'm kind of tired and I felt kind of introspective and, you know, I didn't, I don't really feel like getting on the camera and just talking to strangers. Um, (laughs) it sound like something that was very fun to me. So I've always had a bit more comfort of just creating really stellar food content and it not necessarily being about my life. And then on top of that, when we made our transition several years ago from not just being a vegan site to including some, you know, animal foods, people really didn't like that. (laughs) I don't know if anyone noticed, but like that doesn't usually go very well. And I think I still have some, you know, PTSD from that, that happening. And so to put myself out there in front of people is to give people permission to have opinions about me and my life and my health and my diet. And that is very overwhelming to a person like me, who's just like rather sensitive. And I I have a lot of emotions and I'm a feeler, I'm a crier. And so if I don't have to do those things for my business's success, I don't want to do those things. Sure. There's some days where I just get really jazzed and I want to hop on, you know, stories or, or do a reel or something, but it's pretty few and far between for me. And like you, Rachel, I think it's really admirable when other people like they love doing that. Like we, we actually hired a content creator who used to be an actress and I could see her honestly being more comfortable doing that kind of stuff because she is a camera person. Like I'm not really a camera person. So there's so many content creators who I enjoy watching their content because I enjoy watching their life, but I don't think I have the, the nervous system to handle the criticism that comes with that. No, I think it's something I share a lot is that or talk about a lot often is a lot of like food content creators, like they start in food and then they eventually transition into lifestyle and show more of that than, than anything else. And I always joke when people say, do you think you'll ever do that? Absolutely not. Like I am not an interesting enough person to provide entertainment to social media platforms. Like people come for the food, they're staying for the food. That's, that's what I'm here for. I do want to touch upon your like lifestyle shift. So 
you were known as like, to me, like the first vegan food blogger. Mm-hmm. And ha- so tell us more about like your lifestyle transition and kind of like what instigated that for you personally, and then to also introduce it professionally. Essentially, um, when I, when I started minimal speaker, I was in the process of phasing out dairy because I was born lactose intolerant. And even though I was, I was still trying to eat dairy here and there. And so a lot of the recipes in the very beginning had, had dairy in them. They were just, they had gluten and there wasn't a lot of meat. Cause I've never been a huge like meat eater. I, um, it's not that I didn't eat it. I just didn't make it a huge emphasis in my diet. And I also loved baking and that's how I felt like that was my off my main offering. And so I'm not going to be the expert on how to like, uh, spatchcock a chicken. Like that's not <laughs> what I'm going to teach you. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but that wasn't my area of expertise. And so essentially I'm just also a super health minded person. And over the years, like, you know, plant-based eating just became a really popular idea and it still is. And for good reason, it's a, it's a very healthy way to eat. Like I'm still a very plant forward person. Um, but I read a few books on veganism and I just felt I'm also an animal lover and it just kind of seemed like, Hey, why not give this a try? And so over time I did adopt that, um, diet and I was eating vegan off and on, you know, for six months stints here and then a year stint here. And I got really excited because, making vegan food was really challenging. And I love a challenge. Like I bet you can't make this X, Y, Z vegan. And it was just fun for me to do it. And I also really enjoyed being able to eat it. And then around like 2015, I started experiencing some, some hair loss. And that was like really challenging for me. It it came at a time when I was stressed. I had gotten off of birth control and, and, and I had also changed my diet and I wasn't supplementing very strategically. And so I'm honestly still kind of struggling with it a little bit. Like it's, it's just been like a many years thing that I've been dealing with. And so part of adding animal products back into my diet was a way to just better support my body because I've seen many, many doctors and specialists. And I think there was a consensus that I was deficient in, you know, certain things. And it's not that I couldn't have just maintained my vegan diet with supplements. I'm I would like to ideally be on as little supplements as possible and just get everything I need from food. And in modern times, that's maybe not hundred percent attainable, but I try and I want, I want to get there with like real whole foods. And so over time, even though we became known as a vegan site, I wasn't feeling aligned with that idea anymore. And I couldn't create in that space anymore because that's not exactly how I was eating. And I try and pride myself on being an authentic person. And so I wanted our audience to know like, Hey, that's not a accurate representation of where I'm at anymore. And so this is where the site's going to go. And honestly, I thought maybe I'll just quit blogging because people are going to lose their shit, which they did. (laughs) Um, but I, I still loved it. Like I love food. I love creating and I wasn't done with our business. And so that's when we decided in 2019 to open, you know, the opportunity to bring back in some animal foods and, you know, some people still don't understand that and that's totally fine. But I think until you've encountered your own personal health issues and walked and felt the energy in your body and felt intuitively like what you crave, like you really can't judge someone else's experience. And so while we still love creating like lots of plant forward recipes, like it has felt really good and aligned to also show people how to make a chicken soup 
and a salmon recipe and a frittata like that. Cause those are the things that honestly, most of our team eats. And that's an accurate representation of who we are. What was the first like animal product you incorporated back into your diet? Um, I think it was probably eggs just to be gentle. Yeah. But when my doctors were like, Hey, you're really low on B12 and iron and zinc and all these other things. I like, I just heard that. And I was like, I haven't been getting those things in my food since. And so I was like eager to add them back in. It wasn't like a, I couldn't possibly, I, I was like, I will do anything to support myself, you know? And so that's kind of when I started experimenting. I didn't eat meat for five. Yeah. About five years. I ate fish and, and eggs, but we were living in the city. We had just gotten married. I couldn't afford the like high quality fish that like I would want to eat. So I just really wasn't eating fish. Yeah. And I was just eating eggs and like my health like plummeted. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no energy. And then I started, I remember I had bone broth was like the first, I guess like meat ish product yeah. that I started having. And then I went really hard. I had a lamb burger. Wow. And I remember eating it. Like I remember sitting in our apartment in Battery Park eating this and just being like, oh my God, I feel like rejuvenated. And then like a couple of days later, I went and had like a bison burger and I was just like really enjoying like the incorporation. Well, it was also like your body was telling you that you, you were just like, like all of a sudden just got gravitated towards like craving these things where you, where you didn't crave them for so many years. Totally. Um, But I think I'm I'm sure you probably did it in a very like thoughtful way. Like you always found like the best raised you know, sure. products that you can get. Yeah, of course. It's like you're going to like McDonald's and like. <laughs> no, although sometimes in this pregnancy that does sound good. I haven't done it. Yet. <laughs> um, I have contemplated it, but so you have mentioned a couple of times that you received some backlash when you started, or like you know negative comments when you started incorporating the animal products again. What was the first recipe that you shared, and like what was that experience like for you? Like were you, especially someone who if you don't like putting out you know, that many like personal, personal things and like more about you, like, was that, I would be traumatized if something like that happened to me. Um, Yeah. I think like what it felt like before, before I decided to make that decision was that I had created this monster that I was now sitting atop of that was like controlling my life. And that that's just like a terrible feeling to feel like people's opinions of your life are more important than your own. Like that's so disempowering. And so once I got very clear on like, Oh no, like, I am first, like I have to be well, and I prioritize my health. I became very clear. I'm like, this is what I'm going to be doing. And there will be people that don't like it. Um, and that's, that's just how it's going to be. And so I actually, I mean, it was traumatizing and people said really hurtful things and like a lot of people left and that's totally fine. But I knew that we would speak to people who are maybe in a similar position as myself or would find themselves in a similar position because you know, a lot of people get really jazzed around a new lifestyle. And then maybe like you said, Rachel, maybe years down the road, you realize, ah, I actually do need a little bit more support. That's not always the case, but sometimes it is. And so I think like, it felt just honest to me to share with people what I was going through. I think the first recipe we shared on the blog was just like an egg dish. And and, and now we honestly very intentionally space it out. So it's like, it's not the front headline of our business anymore, but there is a piece of that um, incorporated back in. And that feels really authentic to me, which is the only way I could be a content creator. If like, is if I'm doing things that feel authentic and aligned and things that I'm excited about. On that note, like, do you do anything intentionally to like kind of keep your personal life and business life separate? I feel like joining Rachel's business has been a lot different than like when I used to work in a corporate world where I can 
you know, sort of leave that space, shut off, and then, you know, live my life separately. Whereas I feel like there's so many things that are intertwined. What are some things that you guys do to kind of keep them separate if you can? Yeah, I think um, once that experience happened, it's just was a natural time for me to kind of build up some privacy fences between me and other people and realize like, Ooh, like that was rough. And I shared something personal and that didn't go well. And so part of it's conscious, part of it's subconscious. Like if you share something personal, people are going to have an opinion about it. And honestly, life is really stressful already. Like life is crazy. I don't know if anyone's read the news lately. It's just like, it's, there's already a lot going on <laughs> in the world and it's hard to be an adult. And I'm sure like take care of your kids and just live your life. And so I don't necessarily look or get excited about opportunities to invite people, people's opinions into the day-to-day workings of my life. And so we honestly just don't talk a lot about our life. I've probably done five podcast interviews in my entire life. I just, you know, it's not something that I, I get excited about for those reasons, just like having a bad experience with it. And maybe I'll get over that at some point and I'll have more, you know, enjoyment in doing it. But, you know, John's completely off of social media. I have a personal account that I share on like once a quarter, I think about something I've, that's interesting to me. And that feels really good to me. That being said, I mean, I'm just like everyone else, like there's screens everywhere. There's always a tem- the temptation to distract myself with YouTube or the news or podcasts. And so I do have to scale it back because I don't have self-control in my phones around me. But that's been one of the huge ways is just to, we don't generally put our lives out there and we try and stay off social media as much as we can. I think something that I always remind myself in general is that there's more good people and more people that are supporting you than not. Like everyone, like they love you. Like they love the content you share. They love seeing more of like the person, the pulse behind like the beautiful dish of food. Mm -hmm. So anytime I would have like self-doubt, I'm like, that was a lot. That was just a lot more for me to handle than I thought. It was just like, you know what? There's more people out there that enjoy this and that appreciate this than not. But it's definitely important. I think you do a really nice job of like completely separating mm-hmm. your life and your business within food. Um, I remember when we first had Ezra, I said I wasn't going to post around my kids. Mm-hmm. And now my kids are like a huge part of like my everyday content because it's like, I can't not do it. Like I'm just... Yeah, they're so cute. (laughs) Thank you. Ezra like loves, he loves it. He loves videos. He loves taking pictures. He loves sharing food. Like, so to him, I'm like, if you enjoy it, I'll keep doing it. The second he said, like, I'm not doing this. Don't Mm -hmm. involve me. Of course, I would respect that. But like, Mm -hmm. he walks downstairs in his clothes. He's like, don't I look beautiful? Take my picture. (laughs) (laughs) He's camera ready. He's like born to be a star. He created a monster. (laughs) created an actual monster. I'd love to hear more of like the behind the scenes of Minimalist Baker, like HQ, the company. So you mentioned you have a team now. What was that like? Like, when did you grow the team besides your husband and yourself? Um, Our first main hire was four or five years ago. We hired a personal assistant to just help me with like, you know, practical things like, can you help me chop this onion while I do this thing for this picture, you know? And so she was just doing that kind of stuff. And then she's been with us now for, you know, four or five years and she's grown to be our content manager. So she's just highly capable. She's also a nutritionist and she's kind of my right hand, um, girl. And so that, that was like the dynamic for a while was just her and John and myself. And then a couple of years ago, well, and also I will say that several years ago, we started working with 
a photographer who shoots our content like outside of our office. So that's been a half of our content now is photographed in-house and half of our content is photographed by um, a remote contractor. And then we also have in the past experimented with um, having someone else shoot our videos because that's a huge undertaking and that requires a lot of expertise that we don't have. And so we've worked off and on with a contractor as well for that. Um, A a friend of ours who's um, really great videographers. And then several, I guess, two or three years ago now, I started to feel like I have all these ideas. I'm sure anyone who's a blogger has just like this master list of all these ideas that like maybe someday you'll do this thing. And I just felt like I didn't have the time and energy to do them. And I just wanted to see if other people would be excited about helping me pursue these ideas. Like, for instance, let me email this person and say, I really think it would be awesome if there could be like a 10 minute mac and cheese situation that would exist in the world where we could just have it without a box mix. Like, is that possible? And then they kind of noodle on it for a while and then they send it back to me and then I test it and then we share it. So that kind of became something that we started doing a few years ago. And that's been really like a game changer because we can work through this list of ideas pretty quickly because we have a lot of people now who are just recipe developers for us who work remotely. And they tell us, yes, it works. No, it doesn't work. And, and, or like it kind of works, but here's how I think it needs to change. And so we have people who help us with that. And then through that process, we've hired two of those people to work with us in person who were just like sensational. And so the current um, situation is we have an office in Austin and there are, including my partner, John, there's five of us locally that work full-time on the business. And that's still a pretty small team. And then last year, when we started working on the baking mixes, we hired another person who works remotely and helps with like product management. And that's like a whole other wing of the business that we don't, I don't like have interface with on a day-to-day basis. So, and I actually took time off last year. Like I took a bit of a sabbatical, which was really great. Like I had worked really hard to set the team up and like train people on how to do things. And I was able to take after 10 years in the blogging world, like it felt really nice to not have people like asking me questions and like having to respond to comments and having to be, I'm sure Rachel, you could probably relate to like some days you just want to make a peanut butter and jelly and lay on the couch. And you don't (laughs) want to come up with another and like interesting risotto recipe. Like I could care less about risotto. And so taking some time away has really been good for my, my soul. And it allowed me to, I went and did a yoga training. I took a nutritionist course online and those fed me and allowed me to have some respite and space from our business. And now when I go to work on it, I'm actually excited. I'm not like coming from a place of emptiness and, you know, dread. That's amazing. I'm very envious of like that sabbatical that you <laughs> I encourage it. I encourage it for everyone. If, if it's a very privileged thing to be able to do, but I kind of busted my ass to be able to do it. And yeah. so I'm not sorry about it. And I'm really glad that I did it. Otherwise, I don't think I would still be, in, you know, doing what I'm doing. So how did you find your assistant? Like, how did you find someone that you really could trust and bring into your business? Like, I think that's something that like, I mean, I personally just struggle with is like letting somebody in. It was, took me long enough to even let Jordan in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you yet? <laughs> yeah. It, I feel like it's, it's a lot. It's like, it. so, and she was like with you day to day. Like, I don't even know if I can handle something like that. Like, how did you go about finding someone? Um, well, we had had, we had hired other people in the past, like the first 
time I ever tried hiring someone was just um, basically the, the, at the time, Instacart didn't exist. So you could just hire people to do your grocery shopping. And I tried that for a while. And I was like, okay, that's nice. Like I can do stuff while they're grocery shopping. And that was great. And then, and then over time we would hire people to do groceries and dishes and help me like with food prep and stuff. And then we put a listing, I want to say it was like Craigslist or something at the time, like four or five years ago. And we had someone locally in Portland at the time apply. And, you know, I didn't, we didn't expect it to turn into this like relationship. That's kind of the best way to do go about it. In my opinion, like it's harder to look for the person who has this like huge list of qualifications than it is to hire someone for this job. And then like quietly realize this person is amazing and they're smart and they're reliable and professional and organized. And I'm just going to like train them into this thing that if they're willing, I think they would be amazing. at, And that's essentially what happened. And so my husband and I have talked many times about how like, there's just no other person like her that exists <laughs> She is wholly trustworthy. I mean, she keeps, she just keeps a tight ship. She has like spreadsheets that keeps all organized. She's encouraging. She's kind. Um, she's a nutritionist. So she also runs a nutrition for our recipes and make sure that we're not making like saturated fat bombs on the site and all those things. So it's really, it can be hard to find someone, but I think this was like the second or third person we tried hiring for a similar position. And she just was obviously so overqualified. And so we've just grown with her and continued to, you know, hand her more and more tasks. And it's been kind of amazing. That's amazing. You're inspiring me to <laughs> hopefully try and find someone. My manager told me like two weeks ago, she called me to like, tell me to hire an assistant. I'm like, is that really why you called me right now? But yeah, I mean, for some people, like, you know, if you work out of your home, which I did up until like just a couple of years ago, it can be really stressful to have someone come into your space all the time. So the personality and the dynamic of that has to be a match. And fortunately, we're both like really sensitive people and we just respect each other's space. And so if I'm having a sensitive day, she's like, I get it. I had one yesterday. I'm going to work from home. And, you know, like, it's just it's never the type of thing where like this person is invading my space or making things worse. Like she's just always like a pleasant, you know, bright spot in my day. And so if you can find someone who really gels with your culture, like your company culture and your family culture, that, that is, it's hard to do, but if you find the right person, like it's worth, it's worth finding and it's worth holding on to. So I'm happy. I asked, happy I asked that question. Yeah. Um, So tell us about a day in the life of minimalist baker. Oh, of just myself? Yeah, you and your okay. like, you wake up. Like, tell us, like, I know no two days are the same. Cause like when people someone asks me that, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, like they sometimes it varies, but I try and have some some consistency. Um, so what's like a day in the life of the behind the scenes? Well, I wake up, I'm a morning person, so I like to wake up early. And we just got another puppy over the summer. So we have two dogs, and the puppy likes to wake up around 6 30. So that's when I get up. And generally speaking, I get up and hydrate with water and get my toothbrush and stuff like that. And then I take the dogs on a walk. And a couple of years ago, I stopped listening to podcasts and listening to music on my walks because I realized like, look, I'm inundating myself with content and ads the rest of the day. Like I'm just going to not do that right away. And so I take them on a long walk and I just try and pay attention to nature and like, breathe deep breaths. And that's kind of like my moving meditation for the morning. And then I come home, get them situated with food and 
you usually do some type of movement, um, either yoga or weightlifting or Pilates just at my house. I have gone to studios before, but at the moment I'm just in a bit of like an at-home groove. It feels more, um, exciting. And then I eat something for breakfast. Sometimes it's eggs, sometimes it's oats, sometimes it's a smoothie. And then I usually shower and then go over to our office and work for the day. And more recently, because my role is more of like a creative director, I'm I'm tasting food and I'm giving feedback, but I'm not in the day-to-day like grinding out recipes, which I have done like for the past 10 years. Um, so I'm making a lot of our videos now. Like I've been getting into making reels, which has been fun. And I sit in on content planning meetings and like we just had one yesterday. So we like just talked about like, this is the content that's going to happen six months from now. Like, what are we excited about? Um, who's Who's going to do what? And then basically I wrap up work around five and come home. And John and I usually try and have some type of happy hour. I'm not really a drinker. So I just usually have sparkling water and bitters, like grapefruit bitters. And then I make us dinner or we order food and we watch a show. And then I go to bed at like 10. I would love to do that tomorrow. (laughs) You're invited. (laughs) Two, Two questions. You're six months out on content planning. Well, technically we, yesterday we were, we were planning September of 2023. So it was 11 months out, but this is partially because we just like to have things loosely planned. And then we're testing recipes. Usually what started is like, Oh, I'm always going to be one month ahead. And then that felt really good. And then I was like, let's get two months ahead. And then slowly, slowly over time, we just got months and months ahead because as I'm sure you've experienced, anytime there's things happening last minute, like the work just gets sloppy and it's really stressful, like last minute changes. And so we just don't, didn't want to do that anymore. So now we just test recipes many months in advance. Um, and partially that's because there's so many people like involved now, like, Oh, the photographer needs access to those ingredients at this time of the year. And she doesn't live here. So and she needs four weeks to get those done. And then the video takes three weeks. And then, you know, the blog post takes two, all those things. So we just like to have a lot of buffer scheduled into the, the content calendar. And how many, how many recipes a week are you guys producing like on the site? We are currently aiming for three or four. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That and is so impressive. And then um, to not drinking alcohol. Have you tried any non-alcoholic or these like no alcohol wines, beers, liquors? Yeah. So my husband's huge into cocktails. And so we've, we've bought a lot of the, um, like booze free things to try. And I just personally like sparkling water and bitters a lot. I also still occasionally drink, I'll have a glass of wine or I'll have, you know, a margarita, but I actually had a cocktail with the Seedlip Garden um, I'm sh- I'm not sure what they call it, liqueur or like booze-free liquor. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and that was really good. When I go out to a bar, and I still want to partake with my friends. But there's, I know there's so many out there, and I just haven't tried that many of them. And I'm, are there any that you guys are really into? So I stopped drinking alcohol four and a half years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, when we got pregnant with Ezra, obviously I stopped drinking alcohol for pregnancy, mm-hmm. but then never craved it after that i just felt like i couldn't be the mom that i wanted to be like feeling hungover or like a little buzz like i just wanted to like fully be present for for my children i also like didn't love the taste so yeah we've been trialing a lot of 
non-alk wines and different options. We recently tried Shirley. Okay. Which we really like. Which I, I think they're, they're awesome. I think they're awesome based. Oh, there's so many food companies here. It's one of the best parts of being like a food foodie person is like you realize, oh my gosh, that's made here. But I really like them. Um, because I just kind of got, I'm not like sick of having like a spindrift, excuse me, or Olipop or something. I just sometimes I wanted something a little bit more like elegant in a way, like that wasn't so bubbly or like something that was like more, I guess, closer to a glass of wine. But like Jordan, I guess, similar to John is like very into cocktails and mixology. Mm-hmm. And he even likes a lot of them too, which has been cool. Yeah. We, we just went to Expo East and I tried Liars. Mm. It's, I mean, I think they make probably every liquor under the sun at this point. Yeah. But they made a margarita and... I was like obsessed. I like, I, I told Rachel, I'm like, I want to go to the, like, I need to find these ingredients to, to make it myself. Mm-hmm. That's, it, I know it's really impressive what people are doing now. And I mean, not only in like boo- the booze free world, but also in like vegan cheeses or just like, I feel like you can really find so many substitutes for what you used to kind of um, enjoy. And it's actually made with pretty good ingredients. What is your favorite part of what you do and your biggest challenge with what you do every day? Or within your um, my favorite part, I think, is still just sharing fun ideas that I think are fun. You know, like if I make a video that I think is really fun or we make a recipe that I'm just really proud of or jazzed about that I think will, you know, make someone's party elevated or like make a fun gift for someone like that is still my favorite part. And then the most challenging thing for me is I think I, I mean, as I shared earlier, like I kind of wish I had more enthusiasm or personality to kind of get on and like share more, I suppose, and feel more comfortable on camera, but I just don't. (laughs) And so, um, that's a big challenge for me. Like when there does come times when it's like, okay, it would be really nice if you said something about this. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And then I, I kind of have to do it. And so that is, that's a big challenge for me to like show up basically and show my face and show myself and all those things. I, I resonate with that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just, you know, not in the mood. It's yeah. Not in the mood. I feel like I have nothing to say. Yeah. I'm like, is anyone even there? Like, for yeah. my mom. Yeah. Like, is anyone watching? <laughs> totally. That's why yeah. I always like the comments and make sure you see I'm there. Thanks, Nora. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate this. You always get one comment. <laughs> um, I'd love to dive into your new baking mixes. So tell us the thought process behind the mixes and like what they are, everything. So the baking mixes, this is like an idea that I had a couple of years ago because we started, it was actually around the time that we started working with some of our um, recipe developers. And we had a couple of people who were just really skilled at gluten-free baking. And they were sending over recipes for like gluten-free thin mints and like gluten-free pancakes. And it was like a mix. And, And I was like, okay, this is something that's really stellar. And so these recipes kind of started living on our site. And I had mentioned to John a couple of times, like, I think we could package something like this and it would be really cool because, you know, the whole ethos of minimal baker is simple cooking. And if we have simplified it even more so that you just have to add water or add oil, like it just made so much sense to me. And as a lazy person, <laughs> I selfishly just wanted to have like the most you know, classic and popular things that I'm like grabbing for in my kitchen, just like ready to make. That just sounded really exciting Um, with our standards and like gluten-free and ideally vegan optional and all those things. And so around the time that I took my sabbatical, 
we hired someone to start working on these ideas and we brought in one of our recipe developers. And then I kind of came back in and we were working on the formulation and the the taste and the texture and all those things. And it's basically just been this process like over the past year of tweaking and perfecting. And this is an entirely new business for us. And even though we have some people who have worked in the um, physical product space, like there's just so much to learn. Like for instance, have, you know, finding a co-packer that can package gluten-free goods and making sure that they can source the the types of ingredients you want. And then getting that, that back and like, it tastes different or like something's weird. Like, I don't know what you did to it. Um, and then that's like, you know, a thousand dollars down the drain because you just, you know, they didn't, they didn't formulate it how you thought it would be, um, or not up to your standards. And so it's just been a lot of like little tiny challenges over time and trying to figure out how it works. And essentially, uh, long story short, we have perfected these mixes, these three mixes. So we have a gluten-free chocolate cake mix, a pancake and waffle mix. And um, we've had a DIY gluten-free flour blend on the blog for years that I've been using since like the inception of Minimal Baker. And though it works in like all of our recipes, I wanted something that was like slightly elevated so that it would work in like, if your mom is making Toll House cookies and she wants it to be gluten-free, like it would work. And so we made some slight adjustments to it. Um, It's not drastically different. It's actually very similar, but just a few tweaks to make it more versatile. And so that's our third um, product. And we launched those last month and it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. Like still just learning a ton about like marketing now, like marketing and physical product. We've never done that before. Um, dealing with, you know, shipping and warehouses and all these things. So it's been a huge undertaking, but I'm really, really proud of our team. And I'm personally really proud of the products. And I really, it's now getting to be that time where people are starting to leave reviews and tell us what they think. And it's been re- really exciting. It's been very well received so far. Yeah. But a, a lot of work for sure. <laughs> I'm so excited to try them. It was like, I feel like it was a natural evolution of your brand to do this. I remember when you had that gluten-free flour mix mm-hmm. on your blog, which was so cool. So that's like awesome to see that come into life and so that people, you know, people are, you know, people are lazy. Like they don't want to always do something themselves. So to have like a ready to bake or, you know, something at their disposal is definitely going to be a game changer. Do you anticipate or like see your mixes getting into stores, like in retailers, or do you want to focus on direct to consumer for right now? Uh, We wanted to launch direct to consumer just because that's easier. Like you can make something and sell it to people um, directly. Um, But I think in the future, it would be my ideal to have it in grocery stores and the price point a little bit lower. And just so you could just, you know, throw it in your cart and not have to worry about shipping and all those kinds of things. And we do have other products that we're working on and like we hope to periodically launch them. And so we have a lot of big ideas for it. Um, and yes, I would love to see it in retailers and grocery stores. And that would be pretty surreal. That's so exciting. I'm so yeah. happy for you. Congratulations. Yeah, I can't wait for you to try them. I'm sorry they got delayed, but apparently they're on their way now. There's yeah. always hiccups with shipping and packaging. It's like story of our lives. And well, when we were, when I was prepping for the interview, I was like, Oh no, I didn't get to try the mixes. And like, no, they didn't come. Like I was like, we didn't mix them. Yeah. We didn't. I was like, I didn't miss it because sometimes we have boxes in our office that just kind of pile up. Totally. Um, but no, I'm so excited to try them. Where do you see now that you've well, I almost feel like I shouldn't ask this, but I'm going to anyways, because I'm always so curious. But you just had a huge accomplishment bringing your mixes come to life. But do you have 
more visions of where you see Minimalist Baker going in the future? Or are you like, this is where I see us. Like, I'm really happy and just want to continue to grow what you have. I think like, you know, I've thought about this a lot. And I think that back to your question of what I enjoy the most, I think it's always just going to be sharing fun ideas. Like I don't, I don't see it morphing into some, something else that it's not already kind of gravitating toward our baking mixes were like a huge accomplishment. And I see, I would love to see those like many, many products and many, many stores. Like that would be awesome. But I don't, um, outside of that, I don't think we, um, have a lot of, you know, big dreams because that's just been consuming so much of our time. And it it already feels like a huge, um, undertaking. It's a huge accomplishment to do. It's something that that's awesome. It's also something that's like almost like evergreen. Like you're going to have that for forever. Yeah. That can continue to grow with you and you can like build upon too, which is awesome. Yeah. And my last question, which I don't like when always when people ask me this, but what are your top three favorite recipes that you've ever shared? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, there was a time when I had taken experimentally some things out of my diet. I was doing like a a SIBO. No, it was, it was like a low FODMAP diet. And I was really restricting my diet, but I made this noodle-free pad thai that somehow fell under all those qualifications. And I was so proud of it because it was a challenge and it happens to taste really good. And it's still one of the recipes that I make for John and I, he, he craves it and loves it. And, um, you can make it with tofu or chicken. It's really versatile. So noodle-free pad thai is for sure. One, the recipes am I proud of? Um, I have this like fluffy, gluten-free, vegan sugar cookie that is pretty great. It's inspired by one that my family had made. And I felt like when I recreated it, it really did it justice. And it tasted just like my aunt's, you know, cookies. So that's another one. I mean, I'm like the queen of pancakes. I love pancakes. And the first pancake recipe I ever shared was for chocolate chip cookie oatmeal pancakes. And those are still really stellar. Um, and then I also made blueberry muffin pancakes. I really still like those ones. Yeah. There's just pancakes galore on our site. So people can find all kinds of inspiration. Well, Dana, you are amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. If you could tell the listeners where they could find you and your mixes and anything else that you want to share. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was so nice to get to know you both. Um, so yeah, we're just online minimalistaker.com. All of the, we have that on all the socials. So we're pretending to be cool on TikTok. I don't know what's going on over there, but you can try. Find us I, see, I see you on TikTok. Um, so yeah. And then our baking mixes, you can find those through our website. There's a there's many links to where to find them, but it's just like shop.minimalistbaker.com. So amazing. Awesome. Thank you. 